Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar. It's part of the Kinexus Continuous Improvement Webinar Series. I'm Mark Rabin, a senior advisor with Kinexus, and I'm really excited about today's webinar. It's titled Lean for Knowledge Work, and it's going to be presented by Kim Mascarda. He's the director of Mascarda Solutions, um, joining us today from Australia. So we have attendees from every continent, all corners of the world, and I'm sure we have people joining us today from many different knowledge work settings. So there's a, a lot to learn and a lot to discuss later um, during the Q&A. So welcome. Thank you, everybody, for being here today. Um, so our presenter today has worked in the energy industry for over 25 years as both an individual contributor and a leader across several disciplines, including continuous improvement, asset management, and project management. Kim is passionate about continuous improvement, so we, he, he's here in the right place. Our audience uh, shares that passion. Uh, Kim believes strongly that lean principles can be applied to any team in any industry to achieve high levels of performance. Kim also believes that effective leadership is essential for any organization to transform its performance, and he works with organizations to share his skills and knowledge to improve leadership capabilities and implement business improvement solutions. Um, so, Kim, I'm really, really pleased that you're here presenting today. Thank you for, for joining us late in the evening where you are. And with that, I will turn it over to you. Uh, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, yeah, so uh, welcome, uh, everybody. Uh, hopefully this session will, will uh, be enlightening for some and uh, some, trigger some thoughts in others. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Lean for Knowledge Workers, this is what it's all about. So a bit of an insight into how lean methodologies uh, can be applied in a knowledge worker environment. So uh, as you can see from the picture, and as Mark's mentioned, most of my career to date uh, has been in the petroleum industry. Uh, probably not your typical lean environment, if you like. Um, I started off as a, a mechanical engineer uh, and uh, then worked on various projects, uh, eventually uh, moving into a management role, looking after teams, leading teams. Uh, I've worked on... Uh, offshore FPSOs, which you can see in the picture. I've uh, worked on gas plants and other facilities uh, in different locations around the world. Uh, I've worked uh, with field operations, frontline workers, uh, but also uh, worked with uh, knowledge workers, obviously being an engineer as well. Um, uh, so uh, the last, I guess, decade of, of my career has predominantly been around continuous improvement uh, in operations, in petroleum operations, uh, culminating in a 2019 uh, lean deployment for BHP Petroleum Australia. So um, today I wanted to share some of the things I've learnt over the years uh, and in particular how uh, I believe continuous improvement and lean methodologies can be successfully applied uh, in knowledge worker environments. So just to give you a bit of a brief of what will be covered today. Uh, so uh, I'll be talking a little bit about the, the model that I use, which is probably going to be uh, familiar to most of you. Uh, I'll touch on what Lean for Knowledge Workers means to me. Uh, we'll then go through uh, the BHP case study uh, which 
um, will hopefully give you some some insights into what happens in reality. And then we'll I'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the pitfalls and the challenges that that I faced um, or have faced over the last uh, sort of period of time uh, with continuous improvement and lean deployments. And finally, we'll talk about uh, opportunities for lean practitioners in knowledge worker environments, which I think um, uh, should be you know, is, is quite exciting to me and hopefully to others as well. So, uh, first off, the model. Um, so, as you can see, uh, we have uh, this is the model that uh, I use uh, in in my role now as a consultant uh, in the lean space. Uh, and you'll notice that it's pretty much similar to a lot of the, the lean deployment models that, that are used around the place. Uh, three pillars for me uh, around operational excellence, uh, purpose, mission, vision and impact and customer focus. And then you have obviously the branches coming off that. So I'm not going to go into those into any particular uh, detail, but what I what I did want to sort of what emphasise is, I think this model as it is uh, is is just as applicable to a knowledge worker environment uh, as it is for manufacturing or any other processing type industry. Um, so I guess the challenge for the group, um, and put your questions in the in the question um, space. Uh, do you think uh, lean can be uh, effectively applied uh, to a knowledge worker environment? And looking at this model, fairly typical type of a model, do you do you believe there's a better approach or a different approach? So really interested to to hear uh, what people think there. Um, just going back to the model, I think. From a knowledge worker perspective, yes, everything in here is relevant, but there's certain uh, elements of the model which are probably more impactful or, or more effective uh, in the knowledge worker space. And now I'm going to be talking a little bit about some of those as I see it. So when uh, when we talk about lean for knowledge workers um, I like to and Mark's uh, done this already in the intro but talk about the definition of what is a knowledge worker so we use not that knowledge worker term quite a bit um, but for me I've got a very simple view of what a knowledge worker is so pretty much someone who turns uh, information uh, into something of value for the customer so uh, if it, it could be a mechanical engineering turning material data or stresses and strains into a, a pipeline design, or it could be a geologist uh, using seismic survey data to uh, identify oil reservoirs, basically turning a raw, the raw product, which is the information, into something of value to the customer. So very, very much in the same way as, you know, uh, in the manufacturing environment, resources type environment, people are turning raw materials into something of value for the customer. So yes, it, it, it's just lean principles in that sense should be applicable. Now, some of the things that I've, again, 
found to be more relevant for the knowledge workers includes purpose. Um, so purpose is generally where I've found uh, for knowledge worker teams a little bit different to potentially, say, um, uh, field teams or manufacturing teams. Purpose is a better, well, it's what I've found to be a more effective place to start uh, for knowledge workers. Uh, and I guess the reasons for that is when you're when you're in the field uh, or you're on the line, uh, generally your purpose is pretty clear. Um, you know, for example, in the petroleum industry, if, uh, an oil field worker, you know, it's about more barrels. Or a mining, a miner on a mine site, it's about more tons. Uh, if someone on the line, it might be about more units. You can put your hands on that stuff. You can see that stuff. It's very, very, well, it's a lot easier to quantify. I think, though, for knowledge workers, um, exploring and understanding uh, their purpose, why they exist, it can be a little bit uh, more difficult and, and potentially confronting as well because uh, they can't put their hands on it all the time. They can't always see the fruits of their labour. Uh, so... This is this is one of the reasons why we sort of start with this because I think teams, especially knowledge worker teams, really do need to connect to purpose to be to to be effective. And what what I've seen already in my short time as a consultant um, is that most organisations have explored purpose and they have these really nice mission statements, vision statements, and other bits and pieces but they haven't cascaded those down through the organisation so that everyone at all levels in the organisation has a personal connection to that purpose. So when you're talking about knowledge workers, if you can actually build that personal connection to purpose, then you'll all, all of a sudden have uh, someone who's happy to come into work, you know, they're energised, uh, they're solving problems, uh, they're, in, they're really keen to improve. Um, so... You can get a lot of mileage, in particular with knowledge workers, by uh, exploring purpose um, in that way. Uh, the other thing that we found is, is probably uh, more relevant to a knowledge worker type environment or more powerful potentially is turning strategy into action. So what does that mean? So I think all of us that have been in that knowledge worker environment, been in, possibly in big organisations, we've been, um, you know, been to those town halls where the CEO or the managing director gets up and, uh, you know, uh, talks about the strategy for the next year or, or you know, next two years or five years or whatever, uh, and you know, the sound of trumpets in the background, uh, and generally. What people in the audience are waiting for is they're looking for those key words, the danger words, words like future proofing or transformation, or because generally in a lot of the companies, that those sort of words mean that there's going to be organisational uh, sort of uh, reductions, cuts, which is not what anyone wants. So what what that means is. The, the strategy of the, the business or the, the organisation is not really being uh, sold to the, to the workers properly. Um, and 
the more and more I work with companies, the more and more I see this where that hasn't been uh, translated, the strategy hasn't been translated into improvement priorities for for the, the individuals in the business. And I guess for knowledge workers more so than for the field workers, again, they're probably a little bit more thoughtful about that and um, they're looking for that, the translation of company objectives into improvement priorities. So that's what I found, I guess, for the knowledge workers. Um, if you can do it really well, though, if you can build that golden thread between the the, uh, the company strategy and, and long-term aspirations, if you can build that golden thread uh, all the way down to the, you know, the individual knowledge workers and their teams and their priorities and their KPIs, then it can be quite powerful. Uh, the other the other thing that we've found quite um, effective dealing with knowledge workers is is talking about value and having value in the language. Um, so what do I mean by that? So when we talk about value and different definitions, but again, simple definition is what is a customer prepared to pay for it? That's effectively you know the value of something. So. Again, with knowledge workers, uh, a lot of what they do on a day-to-day basis is not necessarily um, something you can put a value on. Um, now, this can be quite confronting to, to knowledge workers because when you start questioning them about what they're doing on a day-to-day basis and maybe questioning whether that's adding value or you know, how much waste is in their, in their day, uh, they they automatically get into defensive mode. So it's about, well, you know, what I do is really important, right? And, you know, don't don't sort of uh, threaten me, sort of thing. But as you work with the teams and you explore that a little bit more, uh, and you explain to them uh, that you know, yes, you can have transactional activities which enable value. That's fine. You obviously want to try to reduce those, but at the end of the day, they sometimes they're necessary. And, you know, but there's there's also stuff that they do which they are actually transforming something. So they're, again, transforming information. So you start talking to them about that and sort of really um, start getting to think about what, what value means to them in, in, their, in their day. Um, but the big thing is, is identifying the waste because I guess for knowledge workers, uh, probably more so than... Uh, then field workers, manufacturers, and that sort of stuff that I've seen, there's a hell of a lot of waste. And whether it be meetings that people are attending that they shouldn't be, whether it be approvals that are unnecessary, whether it be um, reviews of documents which are unnecessary, whether it be uh, whatever it is, there seems to be a hell of a lot of waste. And uh, there's opportunities there, and we'll talk a bit about that uh, down the track, but Certainly, uh, in the value space, I found that to be uh, quite a quite a big um, area for knowledge workers. Um, so the other area which I'm finding uh, in the last sort of nine months since I've started my my, my business is is the area of uh, processes, in particular for knowledge workers. There's a there's a bit of a need there. There's basically. Um, as part of the, the lean uh, sort of model that we looked at, at at the beginning, we look at the, the business's value chain. And, and with the business's value chain, uh, 
there's a whole bunch of different you can have your as per the Michael Porter model, you have your primary activities, your support activities. But within that, you have your core value adding processes. Now, again, manufacturing line, the processes are quite straightforward. You got cycle times, you understand that it's it's quite quantifiable. Whereas knowledge worker environment, it's a little bit, maybe a little bit more difficult. But it's still a process, right? So you can still map it out. You can do your, you know, your swim lanes. You can identify your responsibles. And there is an opportunity, again, for knowledge workers in that space. Again, problem solving, that's a, that's a big one uh, for knowledge workers. Uh, so if you're obviously coming from an engineering background, problem solving is, is part of what you do as an engineer. But teaching, you know, the finance team, for example, walking them through uh, structured problem solving. Uh, that was one of the things I found to be really quite a bit of fun, you know, you know introducing people to these concepts because these are smart people, but they're not always structured in, in how they approach problems. Um, so simple things like problem solving can be, can be quite effective. Um, the, other, the other big thing with knowledge workers is is around managing improvement projects. And this is where uh, you see a lot of the need from the business because knowledge workers tend to be very good at identifying uh, great ideas, improvement opportunities. You know, they're, they're in, a lot of them are innovative. They've got, you know, uh, lots of good ideas, but not always that great at actually executing them and turning them into reality. So, again, this is where, you know, using, you know, Six Sigma type stuff and other bits and pieces we can actually really help those those knowledge workers turn those great ideas into reality. And you know, at BHP, we we we've used products, the Kinexus product, for example, as a as a means to help help do that. But it's it's definitely uh, something for knowledge workers uh, that is it is very relevant. Uh, and the the thing that I've I've, I've found is is that the Improvement projects for knowledge workers generally are going to be more material, and we'll talk a little bit, a bit about that a bit more. But you know, you're talking potentially um, significant uh, savings or, or new revenue. So, yeah, just just a few areas of the model which we found is is more applicable for knowledge workers. So again, be keen to get people's feedback uh, on that. So the uh, BHP case study. So I'm going to just take you through how we approach the BHP Petroleum Australia deployment. So you're probably thinking, well, BHP, big mining company, well, if you didn't know, BHP is one of the biggest resources companies in the world. Uh, you're probably wondering, well, why did they get into lean? So BHP has been around for a long time um, and basically they've had a lot of success, but what they found to, in 2018, they, they sort of, did an assessment and they looked at their performance over the last decade, uh, of the previous decade, and they saw a sine curve of performance. So they would introduce an initiative, they, the performance would go up and then it would drop off and they'd introduce another initiative. So you get that sine curve of performance. So they, they thought, well, this, this isn't good enough. We need to do better. And they said, well, how do we emulate companies like Toyota who have got that, that continuous improvement curve going upwards all the time? So that's, hence, we went on to the lean journey. So the um, 
I was lucky enough to be asked to to help deploy the the lean journey for BHP Petroleum Australia. So what we what we did uh, is like I said, we started with purpose uh, phase one. So we we built that golden thread uh, with the teams, uh, and we looked at you know returning those strategic objectives into the priorities. Uh, we also looked at mindsets and behaviours. So uh, team norms. Uh, behaviours aligned to the, the company values, was we found those important just to, to set the framework for, for the rest of the work. The next phase, we moved into the value chain. We explored the value chain with each of the different teams, where they fit in the chain. We explored, as I mentioned before, their core processes. We sort of identified customer requirements for each of those core processes. So for example, um, we used uh, the SIPOC tool, House of Quality, uh, to identify requirements, identify success measures, and we had quite a bit of success with that. Uh, the next thing we looked at is, okay, we've identified the requirements, we've identified our core processes. What is that? How does that translate into the day-to-day tasks of the team? So we, we, took, we looked at roles and responsibilities, um, uh, then we looked at, okay, we've got the roles and responsibilities. We know who's doing what. What does our team demand? What does our capacity look like? And how do we balance that? So we use some of those, those techniques, lean techniques. We introduce some of those to help the teams balance their capacity and demand. Um, so going forward after that, uh, we then moved into, okay, we're, we're sort of ready to go now. Let's have a look at building some aspirations and targets. You know, where do we want to be? What does the golden thread tell us? You know, uh, what are, you know what sort of operational limits can we stretch? So we did that with the teams. We we then uh, set up visualization. Uh, so we set up performance boards, um, workplace organisation boards, uh, continuous improvement boards, the capacity and demand planning boards. So we. And some of those were virtual, some of those were physical. Obviously, with knowledge workers, there's a tendency to want to have that that uh, electronic view rather than the, the physical boards. But there was a bit of a mix and mix and match, which was fine. Um, so we had we had those, you know, the aspirational targets, the measures, the visualization. The next thing was around the routines, and this was a bit of a surprise for us. We we discovered that a lot of the teams and uh, in the knowledge worker space, their routines were all over the place. And again, this is what I was talking to you about waste. Um, we saw a lot of waste in in those routines. So, you know, people attending the meetings that didn't need to be there, um, meetings being held at the wrong level, um, duplicate inf- information being duplicated, communications being duplicated. Uh, and we did a bit of a cleanup of, in that, and uh, uh, that was quite successful. And we we really made sure that was uh, we spent a bit of time on that because that's how we that's how we hoped they would sustain those uh, those good lean practices by implementing those routines. The next thing uh, we looked at was um, you now this was uh, something that came up pretty much in the in the middle of all of this was uh, you may remember in April two thousand and twenty. Uh, I think the oil price actually got down to zero. <laughs> it's probably hard to believe now, uh, but 
Yeah, it went down to zero. So uh, anyone that has been involved in the oil industry uh, at, at that time would remember the sort of, uh, you know, the the sort of uh, the activity that started happening after that. So there was a lot of a uh, lot of really focused sort of cuts and other bits and pieces to help deal with this uh, this price shock. Now, at that point in time, we're sort of probably halfway in through this. So what we did was. We understood that as a business, the, the deployment would maybe need to take a bit of a backseat in terms of the business response and keeping everything going. But what we what we were fortunate in is we were asked to actually facilitate um, identifying some improvements, uh, identifying some opportunities uh, to help us with that that price shock. So that sort of fit in quite well with our deployment because we're able to demonstrate some of the techniques, uh, the lean techniques in, in doing that. Um, so again, that was part of the part of the, uh, the work that we did. And then the final bit uh, in the latter stages of the deployment was really about sustainment. It was really about coaching. It was about uh, making sure people you know, knew how to, to, to run the routines. They, they knew how to do the structured problem solving, really helping the team, uh, teaching them how, you know, teaching them how to fish, basically. So, you know, what is, what was the end result? And, you know, what was the prize at the end of all of this? Uh, and I guess if you look at that, we, we managed to save in that, in that, uh, in the 12 months from the, the price, price shock, uh, we managed to identify around about $250 million uh, of uh, additional cash flow uh, from either additional revenue opportunities or uh, savings. Uh, but effectively, um, you know, we, we, it was a very targeted campaign. We were able to identify a significant amount of, of, uh, of money uh, to, to help weather the storm, if you like. So. So you think, look at that and say, oh, 250 million, that's great. You know, bit of, you know, what a success. Obviously, that there's a lot of people involved with that. There's a lot of focused effort. There's a lot of talent, uh, a lot of knowledge workers in the team that already, and there was already an existing continuous improvement mindset. So I think uh, to say that we were completely responsible for that is would be a total lie. But I think we helped, we helped facilitate that that effort. But I think when you look at that 250 million, it's oh that sounds great, but I really know deep in my in my soul that we left a lot behind. Um, there was a lot of things that we could have done better. There was a lot of things that uh, we could have really entrenched in the teams to to make sure that it was continued to be sustained. So, um, I guess one of the one of the reasons why we didn't do as well as we could was, uh, and for, for me was. There wasn't that commitment uh, from the top, from the from the leadership at the top. There wasn't that commitment, and so you know, then you ask the question: well, Why wasn't there? So there was a lot of reasons. Um, some of those reasons we knew about. Some of those reasons we didn't know about. There was stuff happening in the background. But I think one of the big things was uh, leader understanding. Now, this is something around lean methodologies. When you from a lot of these knowledge workers uh, in these sort of environments, when they look at the, the model that I, sh- I flashed up at the start, they'll look at elements of that and they'll say, yeah, I, I know that, or I know this, I know that. 
they look at that and say, yeah, that's all that's all common sense. I do that all the time, sort of thing. And that will be their sort of their their their, their gut feel. But the reality is, it's not just the elements on its own. It's the connectedness, connectedness of everything. How it all works as a as a connected piece. So you know, going from purpose to to strategic objectives, going to measures, then visualizing performance against those measures, identifying your gaps, doing your problem solving, implementing your improvements. It's all connected. And when you understand the connection, that's when it becomes powerful. Uh, and so. That's, I guess, where we could have done better with the leaders. We could have helped them uh, build that understanding. Uh, uh, we, and I guess part of that was we didn't have enough time with them. Uh, they they had limited time and competing priorities, especially at the time. So that was one of the reasons why we weren't able to build that understanding. Obviously, without that understanding, it was then very hard for the leaders to really role model the change. Um, so. Rightly or wrongly, people tend to follow their leaders. Um, and what we found was uh, if, the, if the leaders didn't understand, they didn't understand the benefits. They weren't able to role model then. Uh, they weren't able to tell that really good change story to their teams and they weren't, they weren't able to bring their teams along on the journey. So that was obviously a bit of a pitfall as well. Um, the, the other thing that was a bit of a pitfall was the preparation. So we, we weren't. Again, going into a knowledge worker environment, you're going to get found out if you if you're not ready. So, if you're not prepared, if if you don't have all your you know your guns loaded, you're going to get found out. And we were unfortunately prior to us doing the deployment, there had been some misinformation or or sort of rollout which wasn't done very well. So uh, we're sort of on the back foot in that space. But it just reiterated to me that preparation is key uh, in these these type of environments. Coaching alignment and uh, uh, sending the same message, that was also a bit of a problem. We had we had our our coaches uh, in Petroleum Australia, but then we had we had a broader team uh, based in other parts of the world. And sometimes we're getting mixed messages, and not only from the petroleum side, but also from the BHP mineral side. So that was something which caused a few dramas. Uh, and I guess uh the finally, um, the final thing for me in terms of uh, maybe a pitfall, but also a great opportunity is uh, one of the things I discovered was that I wasn't a very empathetic person. <laughs> so throughout the process, uh, I discovered that I needed to be better at uh, influencing people uh, and uh, also uh, better with empathy and really uh, getting to understand individuals um, so even even as a peer which I was to, to most people I, I still didn't have that influence uh, and empathy that I needed so I've, I've sort of worked on that um, uh, pretty strongly over the last sort of uh, 12 months uh, to address that so again uh, it's a pitfall there um, so exciting bit I guess what are the opportunities for lean practitioners so uh from my perspective, um, I think, again, I've said this before, but the lean methodologies are just as applicable to a knowledge worker environment. Um, and I believe there's some unique opportunities in particular they do provide. Um, now, I've been doing a lot of reading about of Michael Porter's stuff. Um, 
you probably have heard of Michael Porter, no doubt. Um, it, his books are not not the easiest reads in the world. Not I wouldn't say they're page turners, but they're very very informative and and they've got some really good insights. One of the things I've discovered with uh, the the knowledge workers, uh, and I'm seeing a need with some of the businesses I'm talking to, is really getting them to understand their value chain. Um, so understanding their own value chain, so their primary support act and support activities, uh, but also the value system. So, you know, their suppliers' value chains, their their customers' value chains. Where where do they fit in the in the in the environment? So that's been that's certainly a space where I see there's there's opportunities, um, and uh, that that thinking of the value chain then transforms into um, Competitive advantage. So, when you talk, when you look at Michael Porter's uh, work, he talks about two ways to get competitive advantage. So, you can be the lowest cost provider, which is very, very difficult, or you can differentiate. So, generally, the the, the preference or the most successful businesses will differentiate. So, in the knowledge worker space, uh, you can differentiate uh, from the quality of processes. So where you move in, where you have your processes, as we discussed, every every uh, primary or support activity involves processes. If you can really improve those processes and get them to the point where they're efficient, um, delivering exactly what the customer needs, maybe more than what, uh, maybe you know, the, the surprising the customer with what what you can can do, then you actually start building uh, differentiation between what you're doing and what your competitors are doing. So core business process improvement um, and the broader management system optimization is is a great opportunity uh, from my perspective. We talked about cascading of strategic objectives. So again, introducing some of these knowledge worker teams to things like Hoshin Canary. Uh, uh, showing them how they can cascade those those high level strategies uh, into improvement priorities at their level. That's, that's actually quite a an exciting space for a lot of the leaders in in these sort of teams and these sort of businesses. So um, it, it's it's one of those again one of those things that I probably would found a little bit surprising is some of the excitement that that, that has been generated around that stuff. Um, the other thing is uh, other opportunity, uh, especially for knowledge workers, around on unlocking innovation. Um, as I mentioned, there's a lot of smart people, a lot of good ideas, but they're not always um, they're not always able to sort of flesh those out in a structured way. So things like structured problem solving, I've found, can really sort of unlock some of this stuff that's sitting in in their brains, um, and then. You know, helping them work with managing improvement projects can then turn those into reality. So, again, that's uh, that's certainly an opportunity uh, for us as lean practitioners. And finally, you know, the material improvement opportunity. So, uh, because a lot of the a lot of knowledge workers are involved in uh, the operational limits of different processes. So. They're actually best positioned to identify the big, the big hitters, the big wins. So, what, what I call material improvements. Um, so, if you can actually, if you can actually uh, deploy that lean thinking to these knowledge worker teams, 
and start generating these these improvements, you can actually come up with some significant uh, uh, opportunities and significant wins for the business, as we saw with the the uh, the BHP Petroleum example, the Petroleum Australia example of two hundred fifty million. Now, a lot of those ideas were were not necessarily your straightforward standard ideas. I was some some of them were out of the box. Um, and because they were exploring those operational limits, so again, um, some some opportunities there. Uh, so I think that is the final slide. Uh, so hopefully I've got you all thinking about you know knowledge workers and what lean means to them, and and hopefully you've been sort of identifying some opportunities. Well, Kim, thank you for sharing all that. And we've got a lot of time here for Q&A, which, uh, which is great. But before we do that, we'll let Kim have some water or catch his breath. And uh, <laughs> we'll uh, go through a few quick announcements. Um, if, if you can advance that, please, Kim. So we want to tell you about upcoming webinars. Uh, we've already got our April and May webinars uh, lined up, June pretty tentatively lined up so you can register or get notified about future webinars or both by going to kinexus.com slash webinars. Um, you're all welcome uh, to register for our next presentation style webinar like today. It's gonna be titled Building a Learning Organization. It's gonna be presented by Sabrina Malter. Um, she is based in Germany, has done a lot of lean work uh, with pharmaceutical companies. And I think there, there's gonna be a nice overlap from today's discussion of knowledge work um, to Sabrina's work um, looking at lean and research and development settings and more broadly, um, how, how do we create lear learning organizations? That's something we should all be interested in doing. So she'll be presenting that on April 11th. Registration is open right now. Again, if you go to kinexus.com slash webinars, you'll see the link for that. If you are a Kinexus customer, our next version edition of the training team office hours with Brittany Courier and Morgan Robertson. Um, they're gonna be talking about the 3.0.1 release of Kinexus. They're gonna be doing that tomorrow, one o'clock Eastern. You, again, customers only, you can register at kinexus.com slash webinars. But one other thing that's open to everybody is our continuous improvement webinars on demand library. Um, so today's webinar by Kim will be part of that archive. You can find it's well over a hundred. I never have the count handy, but it's more than a hundred webinars um, that you can find in that library. They're all free. We encourage you to check those out. Uh, next slide, please. Want to invite you also uh, to check out our blog at blog.kinexus.com. There are actually uh, two sub-blogs there. One, uh, you see the blue highlighting is what we call our improvement blog with um, content that we think is of interest um, to everybody in our community. Uh, including people attending our webinars. We also have a customer blog that talks about uh, new releases, new features, uh, things like that. So again, you can find that at blog.kinexus.com. Uh, next slide, please. I want to also tell you about uh, our podcast, the Kinexus Continuous Improvement Podcast. The audio of today's webinar will be there in the podcast. So if you want to re-listen, revisit, or um, share the audio, um, you can find that at kinexus.com slash podcast, or you can search uh, your favorite podcast app or directory. And with that, we'll uh, we'll do Q&A. So again, you can find, uh, you see Kim's email address. You can see his website, Ascartis Solutions. 
www.ghostbusinessbook.com.au. So I encourage you to go um, check that out. So we've got um, a lot of questions coming in. I jotted down some questions. There were a lot of um, great thought starters here from your presentation, Kim. Uh, so here's here's a question uh, from Faisal. Um, he asks, you know, from your consulting experience, do you prescribe that an organization do some homework or do other preparation before they seek external advice or help? Like, you know, ideally, what sort of preparation would help an organization? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. What I've found uh, talking to to some of the companies over the last nine months is I'm not the first person that they've spoken to um, and they've been, uh, I guess, disappointed in some of the, the individuals that they've spoken to. I think not because of the individuals, is because they haven't really been able to frame exactly what they want. Um, so what I've, and that, it's a great question, what, what I've discovered is that you generally have to spend a bit more time with them to really understand uh, what they need or, you know, what they really need, not what they say they need. So uh, it's a little bit different to your um, your straightforward manufacturing space or your other process industry, whatever, where it's, it's, it's pretty clear cut, you know, we, we want to implement 5S or blah, 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 blah. This one, you do need to do a bit of exploration. Um, but some of those things that I mentioned around value chain and other bits and pieces, they're things that I've, I've discovered are becoming a bit more common. Right, thank you, Kim. Um, let's see, there's another question here from Andrew. Um, so first off, thank you for the presentation. Um, how do you overcome the challenge of people, people being too busy to make improvements? <laughs> And then also yeah. maybe being too busy to measure the before and after conditions to help document the impact of their improvements. I can tell by your reaction, you've run across, I think we've all run across this. Yeah, I, I, if I had a dollar for every time someone said I'm, I'm too busy being busy, then uh, I wouldn't be, I'd probably be on the Bahamas or something like that, you know, <laughs> sipping a cocktail. But um yeah, it's it's one of those things. Uh, it, it seems to be a bit of a. I think it's a bit of a cop out. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you actually look at when we looked at um, things like the, the the routines and the meetings, for example, what we discovered was there's a hell of a lot of waste there. So just by and I guess that's why there was a bit of excitement generated about that because all of a sudden we we're giving people time back. So. What we found were people are attending meetings that didn't need to be in meetings, yeah. you know, because their their supervisor would get them to come along to explain something because their supervisor didn't understand that problem, uh, which is not the way it should work. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, that that is a problem. The, the I guess you just have to really sort of focus on. Okay, you don't have enough time. Why don't you have enough time? Mm -hmm. Let's have a look. Let's do a bit of downtime, you know, and do that downtime analysis with the team and teams, and actually give them some time back, and and that could be a good way to to, to start the exercise rather than go in all guns blazing. Actually, free up a bit of that time. Yeah, like, like to, to me, I think um, before going into that other part. Sorry, I was just going to add. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think if people say I'm too busy. That's a problem that can be solved, yeah. and, and you laid out. Um, a couple of uh, good places to look of, you know, if, if, 
improvement is important. Let's figure out how to make the time. Yeah. And the other thing that was mentioned was around the measures before and after and that. Right. Right. What I found was, especially in the petroleum industry, we were very good at measuring stuff. Yeah. So, so uh, we generally have a lot of that data and a lot of those measures. So, uh, uh, it, it, I, probably, I would say it was probably not as much of a, a problem in terms of the, the time constraints there, but certainly putting a bit of structure around that was certainly helpful. I think one other thing I've found I would just add about you know, helping make time for improvement is starting with small improvements. Because a lot of times people think of improvement being a project. And a project mm. might likely be very time-consuming and very involved and people get scared off or it's harder to make available a huge chunk of time. And that's where, like, you know, Kinexus, we're big believers in the Masaki Amai school of Kaizen that says basically just, you know, start very small, baby steps. You maybe then start building confidence and, and that, that helps people maybe then work up to bigger problems and freeing up time to work on bigger problems. Yeah, that, that that is a good that's a good point, and it is certainly certainly the right approach. And what we found to be successful, um, and again, using things like those simple tools, uh, you know, those uh, Kaizen bursts and other bits and pieces, and and the, the downtime of even that, just from the waste identification, uh, especially when they start talking about time constraints, you know, well, why why don't you have the time? Let's let's explore that. Yeah. All right. Next, we've got a question uh, from Jill. Um, he was asking you if you can talk more about how you introduce lean as a system mm. versus being a set of tools. And she adds the point. People sometimes think when they, they use A3s or they have standard work that they're quote unquote lean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good question. And uh, I, this wasn't my analogy. I, 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 I won't lay claim to it. Um, uh, and I can't even remember who put it in my head, but uh, it was basically the analogy of a laptop. So, uh, you know, the laptop that I'm using, the laptop that everyone else is using has a system, right? Uh, it could be iOS or whatever it is. Now, that that's a system which relies on, so all the software, all the different tools, if you like, in that system all are integrated. And without that integrated system those tools on their own won't won't work or won't be as effective um and it's the same i guess uh from a lean perspective and from my from my uh my personal perspective that was one of the great learnings for me over the the course of the deployment was building that understanding of of lean as a system it takes time to do that and as a coach what i try to do now is fast-track people's understanding of that connectedness. And I think that's where some of the lean practitioners fall down because they stick to the individual tools uh, when they're talking to, to potential clients. And so the potential clients are just, yeah, I know that or I know this. and They're not seeing the, the connectedness. And it's the connectedness uh, that is a key. And uh, one of the things is I've really enjoyed my time so far as a consultant, is actually seeing when the penny drops. So talking to a managing director about, you know, the value chain and core processes and improvements and, you know, process KPIs and, all that, and talking to them about connectedness and then seeing the penny drop 
and then seeing them tell that that story of connectedness to their people that's that's where you think yeah that's you know they've got it you know so but it takes time one one thing I really liked about your the, the the visual that you shared of your lean deployment model, and I would encourage people they can download the the slides and and, and go back and really spend more time studying that. Like you, you could have probably talked forty minutes alone of just <laughs> digging into different parts of that model. And one thing that struck me is not a model that was a collection of tools; it was a collection of of, of concepts and mindsets and, and, and broader business practices. And I think you're very right to call it an integrated system. Toyota uses that language. Mm. They talk about an integrated system. And the problem, the challenge with an integrated system is that you can't just take bits and pieces and expect it to work the same. Like I love the analogy. You talk about laptops, you could talk about a car. So well, I want to go build the best in breed car. And if you were to get a Tesla battery pack and um, a Range Rover body and uh, Mercedes electronics and seats from Toyota, like that does not create a system. It would not be a functional vehicle. And, mm. and so I, I guess, you know, throw it back to you for one other question. Like, how, how do you help guide people to avoid this trap of like, well, I like that piece of your model, Kim, and I like that part of it where they might be losing out on the benefits of that integrated system approach? To be honest, uh, most of my success to date has been doing it on a whiteboard. When you can explain how it's all connected on a whiteboard, Mm. for some reason that seems to resonate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's actually uh, having the confidence or having the building that knowledge so that you can explain it as a system. And like I said, it took it really, it wasn't so like I said, with the, the preparation for the, for, for our deployment, wasn't that great um, because uh, we, we had a whole bunch of slides, a whole bunch of stuff, but not, not nothing in a very good sort of package. Um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of slides. <laughs> And then by the end of it, when I was going through teams, coaching teams or introducing new people to it, I was doing everything on a whiteboard. <laughs> I was doing the whole session on a whiteboard. And um, if you, it, that, that's where, if, I don't know, there must be some psychology towards it, but when you can explain something on the whiteboard, it seems to resonate with people a lot more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you because I think, you know, PowerPoint slides, even though you, you can jump around, I guess, but there's this linear sequence. It's the same challenge with the book or a presentation, linear sequence. When a lot of these ideas are so interconnected, you could talk about them in different orders based on the problems people are bringing up, the challenges, the questions they're asking. So I, I, I could see that being helpful in the, in the flexibility. And it shows your uh, mastery of a subject, the fact that you're not like just reading the slides you 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 know exactly. this and you can yeah. draw it out yeah and, and what you find is you actually get you, you actually get quite passionate about it as well because uh you know, uh, you know drawing all the different elements and then drawing the connections you sort of it's a bit like a painter working on a, on a canvas so yeah. you actually as you you find yourself as you're talking about these things demonstrating some passion around it and i think that that is uh, another important part of it. If if you're if you if you can actually demonstrate that passion 
uh, that that can lead to success um, with individuals as well. We've got another question here from Katie. She asked, uh, going back to your case study at BHP, what tools did you use for the digital boards? And and what are some consideration for using digital boards versus physical boards? Yeah, look, funnily enough, it was a bit of a challenge for us. We We had Power BI. Everyone would be familiar with Power BI. But you'd think with uh, a company as big as PHP that we would have some technical person helping us build that sort of stuff, but unfortunately we didn't. So um, we're a little bit limited in our own skills and the teams themselves were a little bit limited in their skills. So it was quite easy to come up with, or not not easy, but it was pretty straightforward to come up with a design um, once we'd identified the right measures. Uh, But actually turning that into something that could be uh, displayed uh, virtually uh, was a bit of a challenge simply because we didn't have the expertise. Um, Now, that's why I I love the Kinexus product because I can see the potential. uh, And I I think when when we were originally talking to Kinexus, I was was talking about all these other things that we could potentially build the tool for, but... uh, uh, I think I scared everyone away, but um, it, it's great to be able to have a tool which is it's um, it's, it's intuitive. It it sort of it includes that connectedness, so it goes from problem solving to managing improvement projects uh, and that sort of thing. So it's very important, but unfortunately, it's it's it is a bit of a challenge um, unless you've got those sort of expertise in-house and available. So, yeah. And I, I would encourage if people in the audience are unfamiliar with uh, Kinexus and the software that, that we, uh, that, that, that we make and, and, you know, we have a lot of customers doing digital boards on the Kinexus platform and you know, I'll add a thought and, and, and Kim curious if you have thoughts around again, digital versus physical. You know, I started off doing improvement work with, physical boards, whiteboards, bulletin boards. That's great for a local team. But when once the organization starts getting uh, larger, multiple sites, mm-hmm. get alone multiple states or multiple countries, you even, even within the same building, it's difficult to get visibility to a physical board. And doing a digital board where you, know, you can have a large screen, touch screen uh, TV, you can make that interactive and, and, and Kinexus helps support that. So I would encourage people um, to take a look at our website or, or reach out to us if anyone has questions about that. But, you know, thoughts on digital versus physical? Yeah, de- definitely, uh, you know, the, the physical makes sense in different situations. Like you said, uh, like, you know, a 5S board in a warehouse, obviously that's something that's going to be most in most occasions uh, physical and makes sense to be. Um, but you, you raise a good point around, um, you know, the being able to move through different uh, organisations as as you've got multiple layers in an organisation. Uh, from a strategic point of view, you want to be able to see the strategic bit, then you want to be able to drill down into the tactical bit, then you want to, if you wanted to, if you wanted to be able to drill down into the operational piece. And that drill down isn't always uh, a function or functionality of, of a product and, we we tried to do it with Power BI. We've had some limited limited success, um, 
but yeah, I think the Kinexus product sort of tends to do that a, a lot better. But um, I think people get some people get stuck on the physical boards, some people get stuck on the virtual boards. I think there's a bit there's room for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they can coexist. Um, another question: We have time for one or two more here. Maybe um, Andrew asks, "What was the ratio of small improvements, like continuous mm. improvements versus larger improvement projects? Did that mix change over time, and where did the measured improvements tend to come from?" Yeah, that's a really good question because uh, prior to the deployment, I was involved in a continuous improvement space, and we had unsec probably tried three or three or four solutions around identifying improvement opportunities um, and you know ideas and what we found was there was a whole bunch of the small stuff right you know and in that small stuff there was a very small percentage of stuff which was material um, mm-hmm. and what that small stuff whilst it's from all good intentions what it can become noise uh, and it can actually you know, stop you from seeing those those material opportunities, and it becomes too hard to manage for teams as well. They don't know where to start. So one of the things we found was, and this is where the beauty of the connectedness of the thing, you go back to core process, go back to value chain. So where someone identifies an improvement opportunity, it should either be uh, related to a, a a performance gap on your performance on your performance board, something which you control, could be related to a problem with your core process, but it should be traceable back to the, the core process that you own as a team. So if you're, and we use the the three ply toilet paper example, you know, like uh, we'll save five hundred dollars by uh, using two ply instead of three ply, that sort of thing. <laughs> it, it's that you got to get rid of that noise and get. And a great way to get rid of that noise is to really focus on core processes. So the team is really focused. And when the, t- the team improves their core processes, what we call their process KPIs, those proactive uh, measures start improving. Um, but it's a good question. And, it, and it's, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of teams and businesses I've seen get really bogged down in that because uh, they end up generating a lot of noise, whereas the the, the the real value is in in those uh, the small number of opportunities. Um, that's where the focused effort that we had uh, post the, the oil shock. Uh, we really we we only had a small number of people working on it uh, relative to the organized size of the organization, and we really put some structure around it, and we made it quite clear that we didn't want any of the small stuff. Yeah. We would just focus on the big stuff. So you got to set those boundaries as well. So as we wrap up here, I'll, I'll add a thought. Um, it, it, it seems like the opportunity for lean and knowledge work is improving the core flow of the work, not just going out and buying continually cheaper toilet paper. <laughs> There's always going to be cheaper toilet paper. <laughs> Let's not keep doing that, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, I didn't expend. I didn't expect uh, that to be part of the discussion today. But Kim, <laughs> thank you so much for the presentation. Thank you for um, doing a great job with the Q and A. Thank you to uh, the attendees for uh, submitting really good questions. So, um, again, I want to thank our presenter today, Kim Mascarda. He's the director 
of Muscarda Solutions. You can uh, find him online at muscardasolutions.com.au. So thank you everybody for attending. There are a bunch of thank yous coming up here in the chat. I'll encourage people, please do fill out the post-webinar survey. And again, you can go to kinexus.com slash webinars to register for upcoming events. So Kim, thank you. Thank you again. Time for you to go to bed. All right. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So yeah.